Now, ever since I was very young, I had kind of a theological mind. I mean, I was buying theology books at 14 and 15 years of age, and you can tell that made me really popular in high school uh, to be really into theology and Bible study. I felt God had called me to ministry, and even when I was a kid, sometimes Sunday school teachers teaching kids' classes would, would say things, and I would get a little confused, or I'd try to figure it out. I remember one time, I was probably nine or 10 years of age, and the teacher uh, drew a, a, a simple diagram. He drew a stick figure of a a person, a man, and then he drew a figure in uh, the upper part of the picture that was like a triangle in a cloud, and he said that represented the triune God, and then the stick figure represented mankind, men, women, humanity, and he said when God created Adam and Eve, God and man had this, this relationship, there was a flow, and even we read in Genesis that God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. So there was this openness, a complete relationship with God, a whole relationship. And this teacher went on to say, but then Adam and Eve sinned, and sin became this wall between us and God. As a matter of fact, God said to Adam and Eve that they would be condemned to death and separation from God if sin were to enter in, if they were to disobey, which they did when they ate of the tree that they were told not to eat of. And so sin entered into the human race, and every one of us is born with this wall between us and God, this sin that condemns us, not only convicts us of the wrong, but condemns us to an eternity in hell separated from God forever. And every human being is born with this blockage between us and God. And as I was tracking the Sunday school teacher, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's so true. And that's, that's the bad news. But the good news is that God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. That Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and was raised from the dead so that in the, the work of Jesus, and, and the scriptures say that there is one mediator between us and, and God, and that is Jesus. And the, the teacher went on to say, so because of Jesus, we now have a whole relationship. We don't have to go through a, a pastor, a rabbi, a priest, or anyone to, to have a relationship with God. Because of Jesus, when we put our faith in the one who died, was buried, and was raised for us, we have a whole relationship with God, and we walk with him knowing that God's goodness, his grace toward us, the goodness we don't deserve, has given us this restored relationship with God and has washed our sins away. And he said, the sins have been removed, the scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the deepest sea. The teacher emphasized that in Jesus, we put our faith in him, we are forgiven of our sins of our past, our present, and our future. We are completely, by God's goodness and grace, saved and made whole with God now and forever. And I thought, that's so comforting. comforting. And at nine, I'm thinking, yeah, this is so good, the goodness of God. And then over the next few weeks, he talked about our relationship with God, and he talked about how we read God's word to hear from him. We talk to God in prayer. We have other believers that speak into our life. And so over the next several weeks, he talked about walking the Christian life and living the Christian life as a follower of Jesus. And then... Uh, he, he, he came to a week where he wanted to talk about sin. And he said, so when we sin as a follower of Jesus, when we're in Christ, we sin, then all of a sudden, this wall comes between us and God. Now, do you see how my little theological mind is going to struggle here? All of a sudden, I'm back where I was before. And then he said, and when we, you know, we lie, and we cheat, and he added, you know, we have pride in our hearts, then this blockage. And now, in my little mind, as a nine or 10-year-old, I'm saying, wait a minute, this is worse off now. As a follower of Jesus, I'm worse off now because now I've got stacks of things that are condemning me. There are stacks of things that are between me and God. I'm worse off than I was when I just had the one block. 
the one wall between me and God. And I, and I, I wrestled with that. And then he, he talked about how, you know, if we, if we confess our sin, then there's like a lever. And when you confess this one, that one disappears. You confess this one, that one disappears. And I still was struggling because how does this, how does this sin get back in that place that he told me my sins had been removed, past, present, and future, as far as the east is from the west? Now, over the years as a pastor, people have brought this up. They haven't drawn the stick figure, and they haven't quite put it that way. But that crisis I had theologically then, I've heard a lot of people express to me. When I was a youth pastor, teenagers would ask me this question. We'd be sitting around talking about just life in general. And, and as they were entering into life, and adults asked these same kind of questions like, what happens if I die with unconfessed sin? Sin that I haven't confessed and brought before the Lord, or, or it's asked a different way. What happens if I step into eternity and there are sins in my life that I've not asked God to forgive me of? What happens if that, that, all that blockage and I haven't taken care of each of those things and maybe I didn't recognize something as a sin or I, I was unwilling to confess it to God? Where do I go as a follower of Jesus if I die with sin between me and God? It's kind of how it's been expressed. So there is an issue for us as followers of Jesus. God's grace doesn't make us perfect in how we live. We still struggle with the old self and the new self that's in Christ. The spirit and the flesh are at war. The Apostle Paul even described that in Romans chapter 7. He describes his own word. This is the Apostle Paul himself wrestling with sin and doing what is right and doing what is wrong. And I want to read for you from the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, and see if you don't identify with the Apostle Paul in your own struggle with pride and greed and lust and sin itself. Paul says, I don't really understand myself for what I, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. I love what is right for me. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Does anybody feel that way? You're just at battle, you're at war in your own self. You want to do what's right, but you end up doing what is wrong. You don't want to do what's wrong, and you still end up doing it anyway. And there's this conflict, this waging of war. Well, then how do we deal with sin in our lives? And how does our sin daily affect God's grace and our relationship with God as someone who is in Christ? Today we begin a six-week series of a, an in-depth study of one chapter of God's Word, Romans chapter 8. So the Apostle Paul wrestles with sin in his life and how does God's grace come into play when, it, when in, he, he is someone who continues to sin at times, though he doesn't want to, and he loves to do what is right. So in Romans chapter 8, God give, gives us this wonderful picture of his grace through the writing of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see in Romans 8 how we live in the grip of God's grace. We're gonna look at six promises in Romans 8 over the next six weeks 
Six grace-based promises to living in the grip of God's grace. Now again, God's grace is what? His goodness to us that we don't deserve. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's unmerited favor from God. It's God's goodness to us that we don't deserve. So we're gonna talk about living in the grip of his grace. And today we're gonna look at promise number one in Romans chapter eight, one through four. If you wanna open your Bibles and go there, or you wanna get your mobile device out and go to your Bible app, Romans chapter eight, we're gonna look at verses one through four. We're gonna look at the first promise that Paul gives us so that we understand God's grace in our lives. And promise number one is the promise of unlimited grace. The promise of unlimited grace. You can never exhaust God's grace in your life, period. Period. Let's read together in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, now he's coming right off this wrestling with sin and all that he talked about as a follower of Jesus. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. This word condemnation has two sides to it. It means to be convicted, so you're guilty, and it's proven you're guilty before a holy God. You don't measure up. And the other part of this condemnation is there is a sentence. You've been sentenced to death. So hovering over every human being is this condemnation because sin, sin has entered into the human race. We're separated from the holy God. We can't measure up. We can't do anything to make ourselves right with him. We can't be good enough. We can't give enough. We can't do enough good things. We can't endure enough Thornton sermons to measure up to God. There is no condemnation. And no here is in the strongest, emphatic possible way you could say it in the original Greek in which Paul was writing. There is now no condemnation. There never will be any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I hope you highlighted that or you're underlining that or you're memorizing that. Because once we receive Christ as our Savior, all condemnation, judgment, the death sentence is removed because Jesus took it all on himself on the cross. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means we come to that place where we recognize we fall short of who God is. We don't measure up. We understand that God loved us so much, he sent Jesus who took the penalty and punishment for our sin on the cross. He was buried and then he conquered death and sin and hell itself in his resurrection so that we can not only be forgiven of our sins through his death, but we can have new life in his life now and forever. And when we put our faith, we express our faith in Jesus, then we experience God's saving grace, his goodness to us we don't deserve. And yes, he washes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the deepest sea, past, present, and future, by God's goodness, love, and mercy, gone now and forever. That's what it means to be in Christ. You've expressed your faith in Jesus. You've experienced God's saving grace. And I just want to stop before I go any further because this is so important. This is at the beginning of this, this six-week series on this precious chapter of the book of Romans. Are you in Christ Jesus? See, everyone in this room is either in Christ Jesus or not. It doesn't say there is lesser condemnation. This is not about, uh, you know, partially we do something and partially God does something. No, if you're in Christ Jesus... You were in Christ Jesus, and the condemnation is removed. If you are not in Christ Jesus, the condemnation still hovers over you, and when you step into eternity, you'll be separated forever from God in a place called hell. 
So just the question today is, are you in Christ Jesus? If you say yes, then praise God for his amazing grace. If you say, I'm not sure, then right where you are, don't listen to the rest of my message. The most important thing you can do right now is just talk to God and say, God, I understand I don't measure up to who you are. And no matter what I do, I always fall short. But I put my faith in Jesus. As you put your faith in Jesus, God will save you by his grace. Again, if you're not sure, just talk to God right now where you are. Whether you're in the room here in the worship center or you're online joining us from your home or wherever you are. Make sure you are in Christ Jesus. I'll be in the lobby, can speak to you. There are other pastors in the lobby that can talk to you. Our Karen prayer team members will be down front here. They can answer any questions you might have. You can text the name Jesus to the number 58568, the number below me on the screen. Just text that name in the, in the text and we'll follow up with you. We'll help you know what it means to know that you are in Christ Jesus. My prayer this week, every day, has been that no one would leave this place or, or turn off this broadcast without knowing the saving grace of Jesus and being in Christ Jesus. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. The judgment, the sentence, the condemnation is gone. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He had referenced the law of sin and death in chapter 7. It's what was seemed to be ruling. He said, but it really doesn't rule. We've been set free for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. The Old Testament law, all the rituals and all the regulations and all the sacrifices and all the code morally, all of that was to say to us as human beings, you can't measure up to God, who God is. You need a redeemer. We just celebrated God sending that redeemer as we celebrated Christmas. And he says, we couldn't live up to that because our flesh was too weak. We would violate the holiness of God, even in our attempts to try to be good enough. So for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Now this is the one you gotta underline. This doesn't say God did plus Sean. Or God did this and we did our part. No, God did what is required for us to be saved by his grace and to have our sins removed now and forever. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus came in human flesh and became the offering, the final sacrifice for us, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. He says, look, he sent Jesus to take our sin upon him, and then when we express our faith in Jesus and we are saved by his grace, freed by the spirit from the law of sin and death, that curse, that condemnation, when it is removed, we have the righteousness of Christ placed on our account. My sin was placed on Jesus on the cross the moment I expressed my faith in Jesus and he saved me by his grace and washed my sins away now and forever. I was covered in the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Jesus was put on me in Christ Jesus. Somebody else besides one voice ought to say amen to that. This is amazing grace. There is no condemnation because Jesus took our sin and he gave us his righteousness I like how Pastor David Guzik, who pastors up in Santa Barbara, puts it. 
He says it this way. The simple declaration of no condemnation comes to those who are in Christ Jesus. Since God the Father does not condemn Jesus, neither can the Father condemn those who are in Jesus. They are not condemned, they will not be condemned, and they cannot be condemned. Why? Because when the Father looks at a follower of Christ, someone who is in Christ Jesus, they are in Christ Jesus, clothed in his righteousness. So what does that mean? Well, let me say it couple different ways here. Nothing can ever, nothing you can ever do will take you outside of God's saving grace. Nothing you can ever do will take you outside of God's saving grace. Because you were in Christ Jesus, you are no longer under God's judgment. You will never be under his judgment in any way ever again. Max Lucado always puts things so simply and so sweetly. He says it this way, the big news of the Bible is not that you love God, but that God loves you. You never leave his mind, escape his sight, or flee his thoughts. You need not win his love, you already have it. So what does that mean for us as we we look at these first four verses of Romans 8, this unlimited grace, this promise of unlimited grace, that even as we sin, even as we mess up, even as we fail, we can never exhaust the grace of God in our lives. Let's talk about God's unlimited grace. Look at three things about it together from Romans 8, 1 through 4. God's unlimited grace, first of all, set us free from the power of the law and gave us the permanent priesthood of Christ Jesus. We have been set free from the power of the law because Jesus became the one who is between us and God. He is the mediator. We read in verse three, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. First part of verse four, so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. He set us free from the power of the law and gave us the permanent priesthood of Christ Jesus. Because of God's unlimited grace to you in Jesus, Jesus will never stop being your righteousness. No matter what you do, he will never stop being your righteousness. As a matter of fact, John, the Apostle John, in his first letter of the church in 1 John chapter two, he, he says that Jesus is our advocate that he is there before the Father, and when Sean messes up, when I sin, when I fail, Jesus is there to say, here are the nail prints in my hand. He's not only covered by my blood, he's covered in my righteousness. He is our advocate. We have this priesthood. We are covered in his righteousness, and because of God's unlimited grace to you in Jesus, if you are in Christ, Jesus will never stop being your righteousness. If you're there at home and you've joined us online or you're in the room, why don't you take the elements of communion? And I want you to take that little packet and look toward the side and pull off the tab that has the bread. Take out that little piece of bread. The bread of Passover and the bread of communion that the Lord established in that last supper with his disciples the night before he was crucified, this bread is to be unleavened bread. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Leaven was described, was a descriptor for sin because if you put a little leaven in a little bit of dough, it's gonna, it's gonna spread and affect the whole thing. The whole thing will rise. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin before a holy God, we commit one sin, James tells us we're guilty of it all, 
And this, Jesus said, represented his body. Why his body? Because he came in human flesh, was tempted, and went through trials and troubles like we do, but he never sinned. So this piece of bread that we take at communion is unleavened bread because it reminds us of the sinlessness, the righteousness of Christ, and it is the righteousness of Jesus that has been placed on our account, his goodness, his moral perfection that's been placed on our account before God when we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Let's take the bread together. Pause for a moment. Thank God if you're in Christ Jesus for his righteousness being placed on your account by his grace. Thank you, Father, for the righteousness you've given all of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's completely by your grace that you've removed that condemnation and covered us in the goodness of Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He has set us free from the power of the law and given us the permanent priesthood of Christ Jesus. Jesus will never stop being our righteousness. Secondly, God's unlimited grace set us free from the power of death and gave us the permanent promise of eternal life. Jesus told Adam and Eve, when you, if you disobey me, surely you will die. Not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from God. We read in Romans 8, 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Christ, that condemnation, not just the guilt, but the sentencing the punishment we deserve, the isolation from God for all eternity in hell is removed in Christ Jesus. Because of God's unlimited grace to you in Jesus, nothing can ever take away the new life you have been given in Christ. In Ephesians 2, he says, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And you are never going to return to death again or the curse of death. You'll never face Hell and eternal separation from God again if you are in Christ Jesus. And so if you're going, how can that be? It's called grace, God's goodness we don't deserve. But it costs the price. The life of Jesus himself. If you take the other side of the little container there or the elements you have at home with you, you have the cup of juice that reminds us of the blood of Christ. Jesus said that in his shed blood for us is the forgiveness of sins. He became that final sacrifice so that our sins could be washed away. They could be removed, past, present, and future, when we express our faith in him and are saved by his grace. Jesus says this is the basis of our forgiveness. This is the basis of our new life in his death. He said, take, drink, this is my blood, which is given for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake together. On your way out, you'll see places where you can just throw the communion cups in the the trash bins that say communion cups at the doors. Pause now. Thank God for the new life you have in Christ if you are in Christ Jesus. Thank God for the new life that Jesus provided in his death, burial, and resurrection for you.
Thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that that wall, that condemnation, that blockage between us and you was removed by your grace as we expressed our faith in Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, the awful price he paid as our substitute on the cross, taking the punishment he did not deserve so we would never have to take the punishment we deserve. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Thirdly, God's unlimited grace set us free from the power of the flesh and gave us the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 is really clear that when we believe we're given the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our salvation, he comes to indwell the believer now and forever. Talk about God's grace. We have Jesus as our advocate. We have new life now and forever, and we have the Holy Spirit. Your advocate can never be taken away from you. That new life you have in Christ, the forgiveness you've experienced can never be taken away from you. The Holy Spirit can never be taken away from you. Why and how? Because God did it by his grace. We read in verse two, of Romans 8, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It is the Spirit, Paul told Titus, that regenerates us and gives us new life the moment we believe. We read in verse 4, the last part, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. We now seek to live in submission to the Spirit of God, giving him control of everything so that the fruit of the Spirit can come out in our lives so that we can live in love like Jesus wherever we go. Because of God's unlimited grace to you in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He's there to empower you, to move you, to use you, to convict you of when you're wrong and to convince you when you're living right and to continue in that pattern. So what does this mean that we have the permanent righteousness of Christ on us and he is our high priest? What does it mean that we have new life in Christ permanently and the law of death and sin has been destroyed? What does it mean that we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as the guarantee. It means that we have this whole and complete relationship with Jesus and with God through Jesus and the Spirit within us. But you might be saying, okay, but what do we do when we sin? So how, how do we deal with the sins and failures uh, of our lives? How do you deal with the sin and failure of your life? What do you do? Well, number one, you confess. You confess. You agree with God that your sin is sin. Now, in the, the imagery that my Sunday school teacher gave, you get this stack, right? And that as you confess, okay, I confess that I lied to, you know, I was a kid. He said, you, know, you lied to your mom. I pulled a lever of confession, that one's gone. And you confess to the teacher, you cheated on some assignment. You pulled the lever and it's gone. And, and the idea of confession is that God will not forgive me until I confess. When actually, 1 John 1, 9 doesn't say that. See, John is saying in 1 John, the whole book of 1 John is the evidence that comes out in our lives when we know Jesus as Savior. The Gospel of John is written so that we will know Jesus as Savior. The first epistle to the church written by John is so that we'll know that we have believed. And he gives several things, like we will love, not hate. He says, we'll walk in the light regularly, not in the dark. But he does say in chapter one, but when you step in the dark, what do you do when you realize, oh, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm in Christ, I'm to be walking in the light, but I've stepped into the dark. That's when he says, 
you confess. And the word confess is to say the same thing as. So we say to God, yes, my toes stepped in the dark. That was wrong. That was sin. I agree with you, God. If we confess, First John says, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now notice that little if at the beginning of 1 John 1, 9. There are three ways in the original Greek that an if clause can be introduced with the word if, a conditional clause. One of those ways means that it is a clause of certainty. It assumes the thing to be true. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you confess, and this is how it can be translated, and you will, why? Because you're a follower of Jesus. So one of the things that'll come out in your life is that you will be bothered by sin because the Holy Spirit will be there saying, hello, you've stepped in the dark. You need to agree with God that is, 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 is darkness. You need to confess that. You see, it's not when we confess that a lever is pulled and that is forgiven. No. God is continually cleansing us constantly when we sin, we mess up, and we fail. He is cleansing us all the time. It's while we are confessing, he is being faithful and just to what was poured out on Jesus and what was accomplished in Christ to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. When we agree with God, we begin to say, yep, that's dark. I see in the scriptures, I should not be doing that as a follower of Jesus. That's not how I should be living. Those aren't the words I should be using. That's not the attitude I should have. Confess. When the Holy Spirit shows you a particular sin, confess that sin. Agree with God, your sin is sin. Secondly, repent. Turn away from your sin to Christ. So when you've stepped in the darkness and you say, okay, that's sin, I'm gonna turn away from that and turn back to the light to walk in Christ and to be controlled by the Spirit. Repentance isn't just something we do at salvation. Repentance is a constant turning away from sin and turning to Christ, turning away from our sin and turning to Christ. Thirdly, receive, embrace God's faithful and continual cleansing. I meet people who will go back decades and say, I know the Bible says God forgave me that, but I can't forgive myself. They'll go back months. Maybe you're, you're that way. There's something that haunts you, some sin Satan throws in your face and tries to shame you with. The reality is that in Christ Jesus, as you're confessing and as you're repenting, you need to be receiving God's grace. And so I've said to people as a pastor when they say, I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself because it hurt these people, it did this, the damage. We live with the ramifications of our wrongdoing, but that doesn't mean God hasn't forgiven us. And then the other thing is, when we won't forgive ourselves, we say we are a better judge and a higher judge than God. And you don't want to play God. And so we have to receive that grace. Now, some people will say, okay, I get the one extreme here, Pastor, where you're saying we're beat down by our sins and we're always trying to make sure we've confessed everyone so if we die, we don't die with unconfessed sin. I understand that's not it, but you're saying, Pastor, that no matter what I do, God's grace keeps forgiving me? Yes, I am saying that. See, the issue isn't in my relationship. It's not, the, the problem isn't, in my relationship between God and me, the problem is my relationship within my heart. Because when I step in the dark and I'm a child of God, I'm not gonna have peace or joy or satisfaction in life. I only find peace and joy and satisfaction when I'm walking in light. That's why I confess it, I repent of it, I embrace God's cleansing and forgiveness, and I move into the light. And people will say, but this is just a license then. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can just sleep with whoever you wanna sleep with, say whatever you wanna say, have whatever attitude, it doesn't matter because you're forgiven anyway. Number one, Paul says and John say, 
that if you have that attitude, then you better examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Because you can't look at God's grace and say, it's a license to sin. As a matter of fact, we read in Romans 5.20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So do we say, I'm going to sin a lot so I can show God's grace to the world? No. Paul says in Romans 6.1, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his grace, his wonderful grace? And he says with the strongest words possible, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? If you can comfortably live in sin without the conviction and weight of the Holy Spirit in your life, you better look at whether you're really in Christ Jesus. Then Paul says, you know what? This grace that God has given us, we confess it, we repent of it, we embrace his continual cleansing and forgiving, forgiveness, and that will move us to live lives that please him. Titus 2, 11 and 12, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives right now in this, pleasant age, this present age. We embrace God's grace, not as a license to sin, but God's grace will drive me deeper into the light. And when I do sin, I confess it. I, I repent of it. I embrace his grace. And then fourthly, I change. I walk in the light by living and loving like Jesus. There is a change in my character, my attitude, my behavior. I'm changed and I'm being transformed, becoming more like Jesus as I'm driven back into the light to walk in the light. You see, the same unlimited grace that saves you, keeps you. The same unlimited grace that keeps you, empowers you. And the same unlimited grace that empowers you, transforms you. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. That no matter what, I'm covered in his righteousness. No matter what, I have new life. No matter what, I have the Holy Spirit. That will drive you into walking in the light when you fully understand that you are in the grip of his grace. So promise number one from Romans 8 the promise of unlimited grace. You can never exhaust God's grace in your life. So let's go back to those two questions. What happens if I die with unconfessed sin? I didn't clean them all up. If you're in Christ, you go to heaven. But what, if, what happens if I step into eternity? Here, I ask it to you differently, Pastor. And there were sins in my life that I have not asked God to forgive me of. If you're in Christ, you go to heaven. Some of you say, wait a minute, this sounds like a license to sin. No, it's the impetus, it's the motivation, it is the fuel that empowers us and drives us to walk in the light, to live in love like Jesus more because we are in the grip of his amazing grace. And if you flaunt that grace and you treat that grace as a license to sin, you better examine yourself whether you are in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean? that always and forever, from the moment we express our faith in him and we receive his grace, we have a whole relationship with God through the one and only that stands between us and God. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have a whole relationship in Jesus with God, now and forever, covered in his righteousness, which will never be taken away. I have new life that will never be taken away and I have the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, indwelling me, empowering me, moving me, using me, convicting me, and convincing me. 
Jesus said it in John 10, maybe in better terms, in a simpler way. He said, anyone who is one of my sheep is in my Father's hand forever. And no one can pluck anyone who is in my Father's hand out of my Father's hand. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're in the grip of his grace. And that should not drive you toward sin, it should drive you toward righteous living. Living and loving like Jesus. And no matter what you do, God's promise is that he will hold you fast. He will hold you fast.